And turn with us to Leviticus, the 20th chapter, and we want to read one verse in your hearing. Leviticus 20, 26. Praise God. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and had severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Isn't that great? All right, you may be seated. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. God is a holy God, is He not? And He has taken and cut us off from other people. Now this is a commandment given to Israel, but you will find the New Testament writings endorse this particular concept. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, for man loves the world. The love of God is not in it. I want to talk to you tonight on the basic principle of holiness. The basic principle of holiness, which I think is so very important for us to understand. If you will turn with me your Bibles to Jeremiah, the 13th chapter. After I received the Holy Ghost, one of the first scriptures that I learned, Jeremiah 13, 11, and I, I'm not for sure why this one stuck in my mind so much at that particular time, but I can say that I've used it so many, many times in my own private devotion. See, sometimes in your own private devotion, you, you just have scriptures that seem to build you up and help you. This scripture seems to portray the real purpose for God calling Israel. For as a girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory. The tragedy is found in the latter part, but they would not hear. They didn't understand the purpose of their calling. I trust and pray that all of you understand the purpose of your calling. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man... Evidently, back in Bible days, it was popular for men to wear girdles. I'm sure glad that this is one role that's been reversed. You know? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I don't wear very many three-piece suits, and somebody asked me why, and I said, well, if I'm going to wear a girdle, I want to wear it inside, not outside. <clears throat> but uh, there is another reason why I don't wear a, a, a vest. Uh, has something to do with, uh, with uh, well, it's just a preference I have. So. <laughs> I just, I just uh, <clears throat> rather not get into that. But, <laughs> but <clears throat> can you believe that God called Israel that they might be a people, a name, a praise, and a glory? And God called them that they could represent Him and His purpose and His cause on the face of the earth. 
Now, God is perfect. God is holy. And nobody can be perfect as God is perfect or as God is holy. Nobody can be. Nobody can be. And yet the scripture declares back in the book of Leviticus that we read, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people. He's cut us off from other people. That ye should be mine. That ye shall be mine. God wants us to be his very own. And God is a holy one. Now, the basis of holiness and truth that's found in the Bible is that God is holy and God can not sin. Now, if you will turn with me to 1 John, the third chapter. Basically, what does the word holiness mean? Anybody have any idea? What does the word holy mean? That will help us out. Okay. It means clean, doesn't it? All right. It means clean. It means what else? It means pure. What else does it mean? It means righteous. What else? It means wholeness or perfect. Wholeness or perfect. Now when Jesus came to make us whole, He actually came to make us perfect. And you may say, well, Brother Grant, you have already said nobody can be holy like God. You can't be holy without God unless He does something for you and to you. And this is what we want to cover in this particular message tonight. 1 John, the third chapter, verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses against the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. Now, the law here is not talking about the Mosaic law as much as it's talking about the entire law of God. Now, the reason why that God can't sin is because that sin is predicated upon the opposite of what God does. So, whatever God does, because He's God, He's right. And the whole standard that we have in our world concerning morality and immorality is based upon what God does and what God does not do. God is always right. Now, the root word for holiness simply means blameless, or it means to be separated, it means to be cleansed, it means to be righteous, it means to be pure, it means wholeness, or it means uh, perfect. Holiness is God's number one attribute. Or the holiness of God is spoken of in the Bible more than any other attribute of God. Most people think it's love, but it really isn't. It's holiness. In the book of Isaiah alone, the word holy is used as an adjective to describe God. The Holy One of Israel. The Holy God of Heaven. The Holy Jehovah. Over and over and over, the word holy is used to describe God over 30 times in one book alone. And you see, the devil and God are on opposite ends of the pole as far as the the moral universe is concerned. Now, when God saves you, He brings you out of the kingdom of darkness or out of the kingdom of self or out of the kingdom of iniquity 
or out of the kingdom of the devil, and he puts you into his kingdom. And the only way that you can get into the kingdom of God is to be born again, to be transformed, to be changed. Paul says all things are new. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And the word creature here, taken from the Greek, means a new species. That's exactly what it means. And when we look at, at our animal kingdom, we have so many different species of animals. And they have different habitats, places and environments on the earth in which they, they, they dwell. You can go to the deserts and you will find different uh, animals living there. You go to the high mountain regions and you find different animals growing. Go to the tropics, there are different animals. Uh, go to the far north uh, country, you find entirely different animals. We just recently went up into Alaska, as most of you know. And every now and then you see an animal. What's that furry creature over there? For the blacks you'd say, oh, you don't have those down in Wisconsin. See? But we have animals that they don't have. If you go to the, to the ocean, you will find that, that the ocean has its life. You see, you, can't, you just couldn't take a fish and, and, and put him out on the sidewalk in New York City and expect him to survive, could you? Just couldn't do that. They just, you know, they, they're just certain places that, that uh, they just do not survive. They just don't live. Somebody was recently telling me about something they saw on television. And uh, they said that, uh, uh, I don't even know about the, where, where, what the situation was. Uh, anyway, it was a program where they showed some different things and kind of caught the attention of the, the people. And I won't ask anybody to make a confession or anything here. So uh, we'll just kind of leave it like that. But they said that uh, a guy was trout fishing in a manhole in a large city. And, you know, down in the manhole of a large city, you expect to find what? What do you expect to find down in the manhole? Rats and sewer, don't you? Well, he was trout fishing, and uh, unbeknownst to the people passing by, they took a guy, they put him in, put him in some kind of a uh, swimsuit or a, a deep-sea diving suit or something, put him down in there with a bucket of trout. Here's a guy sitting up in the, you know, the streets of a big city, and he's fishing down through this manhole, and this guy that's in this wetsuit down in there, he hooks on a trout, and he pulls him up through this manhole, and everybody's looking, see? And he says, well, I come here and fish all the time. Now, I mean, I've been telling the story exactly like it was given to me, but it was quite an exciting thing. And, and people were, they were amazed. They were shocked. Why? Because trouts don't live in sewer. It's just that way. You will have to go to the purest and the finest and the cleanest of the streams to find a trout. They have to be cool and clean and dark and deep. And there you're going to find the trout. Now, I'm not going to say that some kind of fish cannot and will not live in sewer water. I'm sure that, that, that some, some can. But uh, not anything that I would want to eat. And I'm sure not anything that you would uh, uh, particularly uh, want to eat. And you see, this is what happens here in the two kingdoms. There is a kingdom that is full of immorality and iniquity. And then there is a pure kingdom and a holy kingdom. 
And God is telling Israel, And I have severed you from the kingdoms of the world. And I have put you into my kingdom. And when I put you into my kingdom, I want you to be holy. Now, it's also found in the book of Leviticus, the 20th chapter, verse 7. You need not turn there now. But God commanded Israel to be holy. And the reason why He wanted Israel to be holy is because He is holy. And He plainly stated, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord thy God, am holy. You see, God cannot have fellowship with that which is not holy. God cannot have an intimate relationship or communion with an individual who is not holy. He can't do that. He doesn't choose to do that. He doesn't wish to do that. And He will not do that. Holiness is essential to salvation. Matthew the 5th chapter verse 8, the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Ephesians the 5th chapter if you will turn there with me, we would like to, to uh, read that portion of Scripture that Paul writes about. Ephesians 5, verse 27. <clears throat> we read part of this this morning in your hearing. In our morning Bible lesson, verse 26 uh, let me just give you a little bit of a, uh, an explanation of what Paul is speaking of. He's talking about husband and wife relationship and, and how that a, a husband should be totally devoted to his wife and a wife should be totally devoted to the husband. And let me tell you something. Up in Wisconsin Dales, Brother and Sister Grisham were there with us. And Brother Grisham taught some marvelous messages on uh, married life, didn't he? How many couples? We had eight couples, I think, from our church there. Raise your hand if you went. Now, I can tell you one thing, that uh, He did feed our soul. And uh, He created within me a real desire to become an ideal husband. And I'll tell you what, He really gave it to the women. I mean, He really gave it to them. <clears throat> Didn't he? Didn't he do that, Brother Sonny? I mean, he just, no, they say no. No, I, no, I tell you, he, he, there was so much balance in what he was talking about. It was just great. It really was. And, uh, of course, Sister Grant and I have decided many years ago that uh, we were going to stay together all of our life. And that's what we want to do. And we have decided many years ago that we would devote our total affections to each other. And uh, that we will do. I love my wife. I love my wife dearly. And my wife is what I consider an ideal woman. I really mean that. She is just a perfect wife for me. God knew what I needed when he gave me Leona Darlene. She doesn't like the word Leona. But... Uh, <clears throat> Her name is Leona Darlene. Isn't that a beautiful name? You know? And I'll tell you. <clears throat> and I've always felt with the Lord and Leona, I can make it. <clears throat> 
But you see, this is what he does. He deals with this. And of course he says, Now husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. Now God will not give himself to and for the purpose of that which is unclean. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, isn't that something? Now, that's the kind of church that God wants. And what Paul is saying here, if that's what God wants... He said, you husbands and you wives need to understand that you need to live such lives that you keep yourselves for each other and you keep yourselves holy, you keep yourselves pure, and you keep yourselves clean. Holiness is essential to salvation. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and we want to go through some of these scriptures with you. Uh, I am not interested tonight in just uh, uh, preaching a, a real shout-down type message. But I feel deep down inside of my soul that God has a message that He wants to talk to us about. Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now notice He said, Follow peace with all men. With all men. I think that peace and holiness go hand in hand. In other words, a man cannot be a real fighter. You know, he cannot be a brawler. And be a holy individual. But along with holiness comes gentleness. People who are lovers of peace. Now, the basic principle of holiness says, and we have already given you definitions of holiness, or holiness, pardon me, here tonight. Different definitions of holiness. But if you will turn to me with, uh, turn with me to Acts the 10th chapter. We'll get this straight after a while. <clears throat> Peter is upon the the housetop, and he is at at Caesarea, and uh, or he's at Joppa rather, and he has a job to do, and that is to go to Caesarea and preach the gospel to some Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles in the Scripture were considered to be dogs by the Jews. They, they didn't keep up with uh, uh, their family trees and such. Their lineage and such didn't mean anything to them. And basically, Gentiles are that way today. Now, I can tell you who my father is, my grandfather, and I can tell you who my great-grandfather is. But past that, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm just a grand, and I know that, uh, you know that I've been given that name, but... I guess, you know, I'd like to know, but evidently it's not a, a, a big thing with me. Otherwise, I would have searched it out. Now, to find out just how careful the Jews were, if you look in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, you'll find out that they could trace the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. Can you believe that? In the book of Luke, he goes all the way back to Adam. In the book of Matthew, they trace him all the way back to, to, uh, to David. That's an amazing thing. 
And this is the, this is the way they thought. This is the way they kept up with it. Now, the, the, the Gentiles were considered to be dogs. Now, I do not personally believe that Melchizedek that's spoken of in the book of Hebrews was a literal, visible manifestation of God Himself on the earth. Now, some people believe that He was. I believe that it's speaking of His order of priesthood, that uh, it was without days and such. And, and uh, it speaks of uh, Him without parents, without father and mother. That simply means they did not keep account of his genealogy. Who's your, who, who's your father and mother? Well, he may have known who his immediate father and mother was, but he was a Gentile, a king of the city of Salem, which was later changed to Jerusalem. But it was a Gentile city, and he was a Gentile priest and a Gentile king. And, well, I don't know. He, he just didn't know. And so, this is the reason why he was without father or he was without mother. And largely you can say that of the, the Gentile nations. So the Jews considered the Gentiles to be dogs. Now when the New Testament church was established in Acts the second chapter, there were people from all over the world that were present there. And they heard those people in the upper room worship God and praise God. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That revival that started in the temple... The upper room is actually in the temple. Now you go to Jerusalem today and they'll take you up in the upper room. They say, this is where the Holy Ghost first poured out. Now don't believe that. That's not true. Now it may give you a real tinkling feeling running up down your spine when you're up there. But the Bible tells me in the book of Luke, the last chapter and last verse, that they went to Jerusalem, they went into the temple, and they remained there praising God and worshiping God. The upper room was in the temple and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So if you go over to Jerusalem, you go in the upper room, now you can lift your hands and magnify the Lord along with all the people who are doing it, and you can listen to the story of the guide, but the truth of the matter is the Bible pulls rank over the guides. <clears throat> is that what the Bible says? The Bible says they were in the temple. They, they returned to Jerusalem, they went in the temple, and they continued there praising God. And after they'd been in this temple for a good number of days, seven to ten days, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they began to worship God and magnify God and praise the Lord. And there were people from all over the world that was present there. They went out into the streets. The revival was carried out there. They preached there. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that very day in which the Holy Ghost was poured out. Now, there were people from all over the world there and quickly there began the, the whole world became interested in what happened there in Jerusalem. The saints of the Lord were scattered abroad, and so the gospel message was taken then outside of even the country of Israel. And so we find that throughout the known world then, people began to quest and hunger for God. Now this was God's plan. God wanted it that way. God wanted to take a bride, a church, out of a Gentile world. Why? Because the Old Testament Jews, the, the Jewish nation of the Old Testament, by and large rejected Jesus Christ. We read to you that in the book of Leviticus when we spoke to you, uh, or the book of Jeremiah rather, uh, uh, Israel had a civil war in which the country was divided. Ten northern kingdoms in in. in and Israel and two kingdoms in the south making up the, the, the nation of Judah. 
And they were divided and torn. And, and Israel having the 20 kings uh, are, that they had. And, and Judah, the, the 19 kings and one queen. Uh, Israel not having one king that was righteous or holy. And, and leading those people astray. Judah having some kings that brought about revival. But by and large, the people, they, they forsook the ways of God and they forgot about uh, the laws of separation. Now, they practiced them to a degree, but, but deep down inside their heart, they had forgotten all about that. This is the reason why that today you will find that, that people place a lot of emphasis upon the condition of the heart. And people even say, holiness is not that which is outward. Holiness is that which is inward. It is true that holiness starts in the heart, but it, it doesn't stop in the heart. It affects the whole man. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. And we'll just take a look at, at uh, what uh, uh, Paul is saying before we go on any further with our, our preaching here in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. <clears> 2 <throat> Corinthians 7 verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, and the fear of God. Now he talks about the flesh, that which is outward. He talks about the spirit, that which is inward. And so we are to perfect holiness and the fear of God. And we are to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. And uh, to say that you can take what's in your heart and separate it from the external is not right at all. See, Jesus, Jesus told us whatever we are inside, we should be outside. He said, now to you, to you Pharisees, he said, uh, uh, you're just what you are on the outside and the outside only. You see, when you get a deep down inside, it will reflect on the outside. Jesus did place a lot of emphasis on the internal. But according to the scripture, you can't separate character from conduct. Character is what you are. Conduct is the action that follows what you are. So if you're right inside, you'll be right outside. This is the reason why that uh, Brother Seidel said, now when you young people uh, go down to Janesville, we want to make sure that you adhere to good, solid standards of holiness. And that's a very, very important thing for you to understand. Let me tell you something, young people, listen to me very carefully. You see, there is a style that's in the world that is acceptable. There's a style that's holy. But by and large, most of your styles come out of Paris and out of Hollywood and they, they do not do anything but portray the world of immorality and the world of iniquity. And this is the reason why you find so many slits in the skirts. Isn't that true? And you see, the devil has a very, very uh, different way of, of portraying evil. Now somebody asked me, he said, now, Brother Grant, if I got a slit in my skirt and it's, it's, it's no, no if, if my skirt is long and that slit, it comes up to about where everybody else's dress is. Now, you can't tell me that, that it's wrong for me to have that slit. Now, let me just explain something to you here. It, it's, it's a funny thing, you know, how, how, how people look at things. It, now, you know good and well that if you saw a woman walk down the street in short shorts, you might not like it, but your opinion and your attitude... And your thought really of that woman would be different if she had short shorts on than it would be if she had a long dress to the floor and she had a slit up to here. 
Now, you know good and well, you, you'd look at it differently. Now, I know that you would. Now, I pray every day. In fact, I have not gone to bed since I've served the Lord without kneeling and praying. But I sure look at it differently, and you would too. And I know a lot of people say, but man looks on the outward appearance. You're right, but man looks on the legs. Or God looks on the outward appearance, or the, or the heart, rather. Man looks on the, the outward appearance. Man looks upon the heart. I'm getting this all mixed up. Here. <clears throat> Let's back up, okay? <clears throat> God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Where do we find that? We found that in the Scripture. Does that mean that God totally ignores the outward appearance? Not at all. That's not what God is saying. It is important how you dress and what you wear and so forth. You can, you can look back in the Old Testament and, and, and let me tell you something. When, when Israel began to backslide, you'd be, you'd be surprised the way in, 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 in which they began to dress and, and so forth. I've got a long, long lesson that I have taught on, on uh, sanctification. It's, it's, it's a real eye-opener, really. A real eye-opener. But uh, this is something that, that we really do need to understand, that, that uh, while, while God does look on our heart, there's no doubt about it that, that the whole kingdom of, of Satan is distributed to us by what we see, by what we hear, and by the pride of life. Isn't that right? And there's just something about these slits and these skirts, and let me tell you something. Now, you can take it any way you want to, but I'll guarantee you that there's not a woman that walks by with a slit in her skirt that every man doesn't look at. Now, you can say, Brother Grant, listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to brag on my holiness. I think I've got as much Holy Ghost as the next man, but I happen to know that that's true. I happen to know that's true. Now, I really happen to know that's true. And, you know, even the days in which they had miniskirts that were up here, you know, and somebody said they're coming back. Okay? When the miniskirts were up here, now, you know good and well, a woman with a skirt up here, now, if she had a long dress on, she had a slit all the way up here, the connotation would be different than if she just uncovered her knee altogether. Now, some of you ladies might not agree with that, but see, you're a lady. You don't look at it like men do. And, and, and the best thing to do is set your husband down and say, is Brother Grant telling me the truth? <laughs> People say, well, how, how, what should be the real standard? By which I should dress. You know what I tell the ladies? My wife is an ideal model for you. And I really mean that. And I think my wife is, is as attractive and it is as beautiful as any woman in the whole world. I really mean that. I really appreciate my wife. And I think she's just a 
And you see, that's what Paul was saying, that the wife should be an example of the church, and the husband should conduct himself like the Lord would conduct himself. Why? So that they both be without spot, and they both be without blemish. Now, so we are to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord, in spirit and in flesh. Now, in Acts the 10th chapter, going back to this story, Peter was to go to Caesarea and preach to those dogs. Now, he didn't know at this time that he was supposed to go there and preach to Cornelius and his household. Now, he didn't know that. And he didn't know that he had some of the prejudices that he had. But nevertheless, they were there. Now, the Lord is going to do something to this man before he sends him. Because if the Lord did not open his mind, change him, when he gets to Caesarea, he probably would not do justice to the cause. Now, the Bible tells us that Simon went up on the housetop, and there he began to pray. And as he began to pray, the Bible tells us that uh, something began to, to happen there. The Lord took him away into what we would call a deep trance, or uh, he just kind of fell into a, a visionary state. I don't guess he was asleep, but he was, he was in a semi-conscious condition. I don't know if you've ever been in a trance before, but the best way that I could explain it would be, that would be like deep daydreaming. Now, I've seen people that really daydream. We've got some students in our, our school, you know, that daydream. You know, they can have a pace all day long and look at it, and they don't get off that page. And it's hard to say they're not doing their work because they're looking. I mean, they've got it right there, and they daydream. You know, you want to go up occasionally and just look in their ear and say, Are you in there? Where did you go? Okay, he was in a trance. And while he was in a trance, the Bible says, he saw heaven open up. In other words, it just kind of rolled back. And he saw a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let down to the earth. Wherewith were all wherein, pardon me, were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Then came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. So what happened was, when Peter saw the heavens open up, he saw this sheet, this great sheet, and it on four corners come down out of heaven. Now, in the Old Testament, there were certain animals that the Jews could not eat because of the law of separation. And you see, the whole purpose of the law of separation was to allow the Jewish nation to understand that they were a separate people indeed. Now, he sees all of these animals, all manner of animals and wild beasts and such. The Lord goes over to him and says, Now wake up! Get out of your trance! Stand up, boy! He stood up and the Lord says, Kill him and eat him. 
Well, because that the doctrine of the Old Testament was ingrained in him and established. He came back by saying, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, did the Lord rebuke him? The Lord did not rebuke him. In fact, I believe that Peter had a legitimate reason to say what he was saying. Because the doctrines of the Bible, to prove the validity of them, they were to be given out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. In other words, it was necessary that he receive a further confirmation of this. God did not expect this man to just change his mind on one thing that he saw. That might be the other kingdom. We've got to say what? We tuned him in. I wish he could tune us in, don't you? And the voice speaking to me again, again the second time, What God has cleansed, call not thou common. Words, God showed it to him again. Did he do it? The Bible says no, it was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, the Bible says that Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen would mean. At the same time then, there was a knock that came on the door. And when Simon went and opened the door, the Bible tells us that they inquired, what about Peter? Is Peter here? And said, well, he's up on the housetop. Go get him. You see, what the deal was, God had showed Cornelius that that Peter was to come and preach to him. Now, the significance of all this was that God was going to touch not only the animal kingdom, But he was going to touch the Gentile nation. And from the Gentile nation, he was to take his bride. See, Moses was a prophet of the Old Testament. And when Jesus Christ came upon the scene, the Bible says he was a prophet like unto Moses. Moses took a Gentile bride, which was a type of Jesus Christ taking a bride out of the Gentile world. The Jews said, oh, wait a minute. It's impossible for those heathens, those Gentiles, those dogs to be saved. They can't be saved. Why? Because they're not holy. You see, they eat all of these things that that defile the body. But what God is saying is, I'm going to touch all of these beasts. And when I touch them, then they're not common. And they're not unclean. You see, that's the principle of holiness that's taught in the Bible. You see, when God takes a man's life that is vile, that's unclean, 
And when he touches it and sets it aside, it is then sanctified. It becomes right or righteous. It becomes pure. Why? Because the only way that God can sanctify and set it aside is with his gospel message. And you see, that's exactly what happens when you give your heart and your life to the Lord. When you repent, you literally kill all the sin inside of you. When you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That God can really take a person who is vile, who is unclean, and He can sanctify it. He can set it aside. Now to give you an example of all of this, back in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, in the fifth chapter, you can find out what God thinks about things that have been sanctified or dedicated for the purpose of righteous use. When Belshazzar was a king, The Bible says that he wanted to make sport and mockery of the God of Israel. And so when he was throwing his big feast, and everybody was involved in dancing and drinking and such, all of a sudden he got this funny idea that what he wanted to do to really desecrate the Jehovah God of Israel will take those vessels that my grandfather Nebuchadnezzar brought down out of the temple those silver and gold vessels and we will fill it with wine. And so he ordered that those vessels be brought before him. He then took those golden vessels and he began to pour wine in them. And he's going to use those to have a big feast and honor the gods of the Babylonians. And while he began to drink from the golden vessel, a man's hand appeared and began to write on the wall. It was God's hand, friend. And it said, Many, many, tekel euphorosin. And while he saw this, his knees began to buckle. He knew that there was divine intervention, something Drastic was taking place. Something here was happening. And while the man's hand slipped away, the writing stayed there. It was Chaldean writing. And he didn't understand it, and he brought in all of his wise men, and they could not interpret what it meant. And somebody happened to think about Daniel, who interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And they called in Daniel, and Daniel interpreted. The interpretation was, This night thy kingdom is divided unto thee and given to the Medes and the Persians. Thou art weighed in the balance and found wanting. Now why did God take such drastic action against Belshazzar? Because you see, you could not desecrate those vessels without punishment because those were holy vessels. They had been set aside. They had been sanctified. They had the name of Jehovah God on them. And they were to be used for His kingdom's sake and for His kingdom's sake alone. You see, this is the, this is the tragedy of the backslider. Is that 
once God has set him aside, once God has sanctified him, once God has pronounced him holy because of his own blood, then to take the body that's without spot and blemish and give it back to the kingdom of Satan to be used for the magnification of his purpose will bring the judgments of God upon an individual quicker than anything in the world. and 20. He said, Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for God loveth the holy temple. Which temple you are? What he's saying is, what your heart has been mocked pure and clean with the blood of Jesus Christ, and what you have been set aside as a real dwelling place for Almighty God. Don't take it and desecrate it. Jesus spoke of the horrible condition of a man's body or life in which evil spirits and such have been cast out and now it's clean and empty, void of the presence of the Lord. That's our defense, the Holy Ghost. You know, I think if we've ever needed to be filled with the Holy Ghost on a daily basis, it's certainly in these days of evil. If we were ever really needed to let God flow in us and flow out of us all the time, become channels in which God's presence can, can reach the world, it's these days that we live in. Let us not be like the five foolish virgins that took no oil in their lamps. And when the cry came forth, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, they rose to trim their lamps, and they didn't have enough all in their lamps for the lights to burn. And they missed the rapture, friend. I say they missed the rapture. I say they missed the rapture. Oh, I want God's Spirit to flood my soul. I want Him to use me. We are the temple, the vessel of God that God's touched. And Peter was, or the Lord told Peter, you may not have eaten all these beasts before, but remember the first beast of the first covenant, I touched them. And the reason why they were considered holy in the Old Testament is not because of anything you did, but I set them aside. I consecrated them. I gave them to you. And when I touch them, they're holy. And what he's saying now, I'll touch all the four-footed beasts of the field and whenever I touch them and set them aside, don't go and say, oh, uh, that, you know, you, you, can't, you can't eat that. Paul deals with that. His letter to Titus and Timothy deals with in the book of Ephesians, several books. He said, you know, the problem with some people, he said, you know, they forbid to marry. They have their conscience seared with a hot iron. He goes on down to say, and they abstain from certain meats which God, which God has cleansed. Isn't that what he's saying? Which God has cleansed. He said, if you receive it with thanksgiving. In other words, I suppose it'd be all right for you to eat a rat if you could pray over it. <laughs> now the meaning was a little deeper than, than just the, the beast. But you see, the beasts were associated with the Gentile nation because that's what they ate. They sacrificed all these unto idols and such. 
And so Peter goes down to Cornelius' household. When he gets down there, he realizes, hey, this man's a Gentile. And when he opened his mouth, verse 34, and began to preach, what do you think he said? It's almost like a cover-up. He said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. (laughs) I guess really what he was saying is, well, I'm here, and you know I'm a Jew, but... uh, you know, it looks looks to me like God loves everybody. <laughs> Wasn't that what he was saying? Why did he say that? Because of the vision he had on the housetop. Was Cornelius filled with the Holy Ghost that day? Yes, he was. And his entire household was filled with the Holy Ghost. I say his entire household was filled with the Holy Ghost. And you see, the the, the real beauty of holiness is that it does come from God. doesn't really come from me. You know, that I do not possess the power. I do not have the ability to cleanse myself. I, I, can, I can read all types of self-help books and everything. And, and, and I may be able to raise my standard of living to a certain degree. But the real seed of iniquity still is bedded down deep inside of my soul. And the only way I can be holy as God is holy is to receive His Spirit. He must touch me. He must mop my heart clean. He must make me everything that I am. And then I become a vessel for His use. I'd like for you to stand with me, if you would, at this time. In the book of Revelation, the 22nd, uh, let's, uh, let's look at the uh, 21st chapter. Revelation 21, 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, Is it true that even cities can be holy? If it's made by God, it is holy. What, what did God say when he walked here on the face of the earth? He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. You see, the holy city has to be holy because God is holy and He's going to live there. The reason why that our bodies have to be holy today is because that He's going to live in us. And as I spoke to you about the horrible consequences of, of giving yourself back to the devil, you see, Jesus spoke of that temple that was clean and empty and everything. And, and the devil that departed from it, the Bible says, he went out into dry places of the earth. He found seven spirits likened to himself. And when he went back and found it was empty, what did he do? He went inside. And the Bible says the latter condition was seven times worse than the first. This is the reason why that once you've given your heart to God, you know, 
There's no turning back. I say there's no turning back. There's no turning back. I know that, that once you first come to the Lord, there is a struggle. But the struggle is really submission to a God that's made you holy. And a lot of the strife that you feel when the preacher preaches is really a strife that you have with God. Because you see, the Bible says that the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Lusteth here means strives against the spirit. But you see, God that's inside keeps dealing with you. It's painful. It's like an operation. It's not easy to come by. But why does God want you holy? Because you see, He's holy. He's got to live inside here. See? The holy city is holy. Why? Because He's holy. And it's been set aside as a dwelling place for God. All right, let's move on in our reading here, verse 11 of Revelation 21. And having the glory of God and her light was like a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, the explanations given of this and what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city it is. Did you know that the holy city is going to be 1,500 miles long? Can you believe that? That's about the distance of from here to Salt Lake City. That is one dimension of it. It's 1,500 miles. Uh, 1,500 miles deep or wide, it is 1,500 miles high. Can, can you feature a gate that's 1,500 miles high? Yeah, Talking about a city. And not only does it have one gate, it's got 12 of them. And this sets up on 12 foundations. Now how big they are, I'm not really for sure. But, but there are the 12 foundations. All right. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. A pearl that is about the size of the of a head of a twenty-two rifle, long rifle, about 180 or 125 grains is worth $2,200. I don't know what you'd say one pearl that's 1,500 miles high would be worth. But see, it doesn't even stop there. And the street of the city was pure gold. 
as it were, transparent glass. I mean, without one flaw. Can, can you believe that? Now, I, know, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. For there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Now notice what happens in verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. It's a holy city. It's what kind of a city? It's a holy city. Why does God require holiness of us today? Because He is holy. If we're going to the holy city, we've got to be holy. You see, nothing unclean is going to enter into it. Neither whatsoever worketh abominations or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise God. The holy city. In Leviticus, the 20th chapter, verse 7, I quoted this scripture. Sanctify yourselves, therefore. This is what God's telling Israel. Be ye holy. How can we be holy? You see, God had a plan for them to be holy. And He has a plan for us also. Why should we be holy? He said, for I am the Lord your God. He is holy. Now see, we just can't get holy on our own. You can't get to heaven any other way than God's prescribed way. I can't be holy and get to the holy city without God. You see, He's the door of the sheepfold. A man climbeth up any other way. How could I possibly get to the holy city without the rapture? You know, it, it's, it's like a man trying to lift himself up by his own bootstraps. The harder he lifts, the more leverage is pushing down. You ever tried to sit in a chair and try to lift yourself up? Move out of the way, Brother Pete. You know, you sit here and you, ah, you know why I can't pick myself up? Because with the same pressure that I'm pulling up with, I'm pushing down with. The law of leverage would not allow me. Now if somehow I could get over there and put a long pole underneath this, I could pick myself up. But you see, I can't be in two places at one time. So, there must be a stronger kingdom than the kingdom of self to pick me up. It's going to be God. 
Some of the people participating in the Olympics this year will be able to jump seven plus feet. But when you compare that to the distance of the moon, 220 something or plus thousand miles, seven feet's not very much, is it? So you see, we have no ability to be saved on our own. But you see, what He has done, He's left with us a prescribed method. It's going to take His blood. Through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, we can become holy. And holiness is definitely essential to salvation. He said, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord, thy God, am holy. And if you want to be saved tonight, you need to first repent of your sins. Then you need to have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ mixed and mingled with the vessel. And it becomes a sanctified vessel. That's what happens in baptism. The beautiful plan of baptism. One man recently went to the Holy Land. I heard this story. One of our preachers gave it to us. When he was in the Holy Land, he went into a pottery shop and he wanted to purchase a nice piece of pottery, some type of nice vessel. And he looked at everything, hundreds and thousands of pieces that this man had done. Didn't really see anything he liked. And up on the top, way up in the corner, there was a beautiful piece. And so he called the man there and he says, I want that. The man got it down, dusted it off, he says, they said, you think it's pretty, don't you? He said, yes. He said, the truth of the matter is, this one's not for sale. He said, but that's the only one you have that I really like. The color and everything is so magnificent. The reds and, and the pinks and everything are just so great. He said, let me tell you about this piece, the reason why it's not for sale. He said, when I do this work, he said, I, I take and I water this clay down and I work with this for days with my hands. He said, surprisingly, some clay is what we call more stubborn than others. Some pieces are that way. Depends on where we found them. Where we dug them out of the clay or out of the ground, out of the mire. And he said, I got this piece of clay and I work with it and I work with it and I work with it and I work with it. And he said it had such hard lumps in it and slivers in it, little slivers of rock and everything. And I just couldn't, I could not get it mellow. I couldn't work with it. So one day he said, I got mad and I threw it in the corner. And I left it for a while. But he said, when I ran out of clay and the weather was bad, rather than go out and get some more, I thought, I'm going to try it again. And he said, I picked it up and I watered it down real good. And I put it on the wheel. And he said, as I began to turn the wheel, he said, there was still a lot of hard slivers of clay in it that no water had touched. And he said, as I turned the wheel quickly there, swiftly, he said, those slivers came around and cut my fingers. He had scars on his fingers. And he said, the reason why that this piece of clay, this vessel so beautiful, is that the reds and the pink you see in this vessel, it's the blood of my hands. And he said, the only beauty 
that this peace has is the beauty of my blood. And he said, this peace is not for sale because it's got me in it. And you see, the reason why that the church can be so beautiful. Could I take just a moment's time, and I know you're standing, and you've been standing for a few moments. But the truth of the matter is, see, holiness standards and such, what you see on the outside becomes very desirable and beautiful to some people because, you see, it's God's idea. It's, it, it, it's, it's God himself. It's, it's, it's designed to make the man so transparent, see, that the Lord shines through him. It's like walking up to a mirror and looking in, and when you see, you don't see yourself, but you see the face of Jesus. You see, that's the way Christians should be. And it is indeed a beautiful sight to see people who were corrupt and vile change their lifestyle and come to the Lord. But in all this, can we really say we did it? No. What makes it so beautiful? It's His blood that's mingled with earthen vessels that causes the chief potter to say, not for sale. See, that's what it's all about. I am nothing within myself. But because of His holiness, there is a beautiful holy city that's waiting for me. That's waiting for you. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, why don't you let Him do it? You know, the biggest hang-up that most people have is this. I can't do it. I literally, I can't do it, brother. I've had no telling that to people say, I just can't do it. Well, I know you can't do it. But you see, the plan of God was never designed so that you had to make yourself holy. It's, to, it's so that you can be submissive and let Him make you holy. But He wants to do that tonight. But if you want to be saved, you can be saved by surrendering your heart to the Lord. On both sides of the pulpit, there's a place right now for you to come and kneel and pray. Who'd like to be the first one to come down here and pray tonight? Don't you want Him to touch you? Don't you want Him to make you whole? Pure, righteous, clean. I remember when I went down to the baptismal tank in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, when I came up out of the water, it was more than just a feeling. I was clean inside. I felt clean, but I knew I was clean. Have you ever gone to the altar and prayed for a while, and while you sobbed and wept and you, you just lay there, uh, prostrate before the Lord. When you got up, oh, there was a feeling inside of you that you just wished that somehow you could just capture it and hold it forever. It's so beautiful. Not anything that you've done, but it's just God, see. 
Would you come right now? We sing the song, I gave him my old tattered garment. I gave him a robe with your wife. What's the name of that? <coughs> Praise God. Somebody else want to come? People are praying here already. I believe that God's dealing with somebody here tonight. I know God is. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're like that piece of clay. Maybe we have somebody here that's been stubborn. Joy in my heart since Jesus made everything well, You know what? Right. If you want to be a beautiful vessel, I gave him my just let his blood touch your vessel. 